Hi, I'm Jay Harris, and you are listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Hope you enjoy it. All right, fellas, we have a victory Sunday for the first time in a long time. Uh, welcome to the Monarchist Podcast. I am Mike, and we are joined, as always, by Aaron. How you doing, Aaron? Dude, I'm on cloud nine. The Commanders won. Monarchs won. I got a cold Dr. Pepper. Man, life is sweet. And we are joined by Gary. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing wonderful. Got a nice Jags win today to top it off. Got to hang out at field hockey for a while earlier today. But I, I have a question for both of you to kick this off. One, are you feeling kind of cocky? Like you feel pretty locked on and cocky about the uh, game on Saturday? Well, you know, my answer is no, I'm not cocky. I am just confident in this offense. I feel like we were appropriately cocky, actually for Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Schultz, it is time for a mea culpa. We're waiting for it. You called us cocky for calling the over and a seven point win. It is time for some mea culpas. Send them our way. All right. So we had a blast yesterday, obviously. Tailgate was interesting, but it was still a good time, even though we had lightning and rain and puddles to navigate through, but awesome tailgate. We went through 18 pounds of pulled pork and 60 pieces of chicken, even though it was a downpour for most of the day. That's got to be a food record, I think, for us. And I think the uh, lesson learned here, and Gary, maybe you can give the public service announcement because you and Mike are both accomplished smokers, is... Do it yourself because, one, it tastes better, and two, it's a shit ton cheaper, right? Yeah. Six pounds of pulled pork was going to be 140 bucks, but I smoked 18 pounds of it for about 40 So, yeah. Learn to use your smoker, kids. That's your PSA for the day. And we had some cool guests that we did not expect to come by. The Austin clan, Miles Austin's parents and a couple of their friends came by. They were a joy to talk with. I hope to see them at future tailgates. A lot of other awesome people that stop by. Let's get to this game. Monarchs win 38-31 behind an explosive offense. What were your biggest things that you walked away with, Aaron? Well, it seemed like we talked to a bunch of people um, following the Tech game and leading up to this game on Things that we thought went right in Blacksburg and what we needed to happen going into this game to be successful. We all talked about that the run needed to continue to be successful and we needed to get a little bit more efficient on the passing. If we could do that, the defense could do what they were doing all, already, we'd be okay. And that's exactly what happened. We were able to run the ball effectively. Keyshawn Wicks looked like a freaking Superman, averaged over six yards a carry, I think. And, and Grant came alive he didn't have to throw the ball a ton of times but when he did i mean he just hit louisiana with dagger after dagger after dagger i know we'll go through the game a bit but on that first drive he not only pumped up the team 
but he pumped up our crowd. I felt like there was some validation on a lot of things that we've been saying since Kevin Decker was hired at ODU. It's that this offense will work. It's just a matter of time. And I believe in the preview episode I talked about, we need them to do kind of the unreasonable and unrealistic thing, which is to have this offense click in week two. And they were able to accomplish that. Like what you saw from our offense, that's what it's supposed to be. They can hit you with a two play touchdown drive. Like we saw to open the game. They can go on a seven, eight play drive with a good bit of running and score touchdowns. It's taking what the defense is giving you. And for the first time since I think David Washington was our quarterback, we actually use tempo to take advantage of the other team's mistakes. I don't think that I've seen it in a while in an ODU game where we make the defense call a timeout because they have the wrong personnel in the field. We are not going to sub. We are trapping and we are just continually punching them in the mouth. And Louisiana had to burn a timeout to get the right person on the field because Keyshawn Wicks was getting nine, 10 yards a clip running with their safeties back in the three man front, basically a, a, a straight dime package. And we were just crushing them. So I just, I felt validated and I hope ODU fans appreciate what they saw and know that there is so much more of that on the offensive side to come. You mentioned the tempo. It was really interesting to watch. So, for a lot of the game, Louisiana's rushing three. We're just running straight up the gut right at them. And then we start picking up the pace. They maybe adjust and start blitzing us, and then we just drop it over the top on them because it just seemed like they could never guess right on defense. We had them off kilter all game, and we just kept punching them in the mouth, and they didn't know how to react. And I, I think that's you give a lot of kudos to Grant Wilson on that and knowing this offense and the principles of it and having that kind of drilled into his head for a while. So many of our plays are RPOs. So you can run, you can pass, you can do a number of different things. And they're able to get that read either from the sideline or from Grant mid-play. And you saw the first drive, the defensive backs for Louisiana were playing soft. They were playing off the ball. And they were just getting receivers blowing by them, and we hit the big passes. Next drive, they come out. You see the corners and the secondary creeping up, all spread to the sidelines, and we run it up the middle. Basically, we're making the defense declare what they're going to do, and then we run something to attack their weakness. That's the principle of this offense, and we saw it executed really, really well on Saturday in a lot of instances. And yeah, I, I love that being able to control tempo. You're able to slow it down sometimes, speed it up sometimes, and just kind of leave Louisiana very, very frustrated. Now, I, I would like to give some credit to Louisiana's offense. Ben Woolrich played a fantastic game. He made some throws yesterday that there's not many college players that can hit those in the clutch like he did. Uh, he had one basket throw, which was an amazing pass right on the money, but also an amazing catch. So credit to those guys. They definitely have some talent on that roster. But wanted to, before we get too deep in the woods, we, it's here, give him some credit for how well he played yesterday. Yeah, and Coach Ronnie actually talked about that in the post-game press conference, just the incredible plays where we had the right defense, we had amazing coverage, and Wolverine just made a great play, and the receiver made a great catch. Sometimes that, that'll happen. They definitely have talent on that side. And what I think surprised me was the size of their offensive line. Like that, I didn't see a big difference between them and Virginia Tech from last week. Like they had some big boys out there looking like 
you know, busted cans of cinnamon rolls or something up there at the line of scrimmage, but they were moving some people around pretty well. Yeah, it, he made some really nice throws, and it wasn't just one. There were probably three of those pretty deep balls that another inch or two, and they're incomplete, but just amazing throws and amazing catches by those guys. I don't think the defenders could have played any better on those. It's just an example of great offense beating great defense and making things happen. But fortunately, when we needed a stop, we came up with one. Now, speaking of defense and plays, I think the play of the game, obviously that last stand on the goal line was huge and won us the game. But Amori Morrison punching that ball loose was humongous. I, I feel like that just changed their drive put them in, they dominated possession in that first half. And I feel like that was the first moment where we saw the defense fighting back and making a play and kind of changed the momentum. Yeah, man, so much so that this was discussed at Rage and Review. I was listening to their podcast that they had put out last night and a former player had called in and they talked about that specific play. They weren't happy with the play call, thought that the coach was getting a little cute there. And obviously, Amori was right in the right place at the right time. He didn't bite hard on that play. And God, it put them in a, what, third and 26, I think it was. A real bad position. And that definitely was a momentum changer for us. I was happy to see Amori make a play because he did not have a super fun night. He was double teamed on every single drop back. He was getting two offensive linemen pushing him away from the ball. You see what he can do when he gets a a little bit of daylight, and we've got to figure out how to get him some more daylight on that defensive side and and really get some kind of pass rush going. This two straight games that a a sacker, very few QB hurries even on Saturday. And other than fourth down stops, no turnovers yet. Yeah, that's... That's a weird one. Oh, also, we continue the strength. No offensive holding calls for the second week in a row. So that brings up my total of football games I've attended with no holding penalties to two. Offensive. Yeah. Offensive Obviously, holding. there was defensive holding last night. So that was that was good to see that that's still a penalty in the Sun Belt. I don't know how many games I've been to. I've been the years of 10-plus years of Old Dominion football, home games. A number of road games, a bunch of Tennessee games. Just two I've ever been to that had no holding. Will it survive three weeks? I would bet no. I, I think that's just too much to ask. But what I will say, I'm not going to call out any names, but if you're at a game and your team doesn't have any penalties... Don't say some shit about, hey, we don't have any penalties because it's a guaranteed jinx. And sure enough, it did happen last night, but luckily it didn't matter in the long run. It was like two plays later that somebody said we didn't have any penalties and then we had an offside call. So it was like immediately following that. But yeah, somebody actually asked Coach Ronnie in the postgame press conference about, you know, He's always been one to say there's there's offensive holding on every single play. It's to what degree and does it get called? Uh, I think he was a little surprised that, that nothing had been called. I don't think he wanted to say too much to put it on too many people's radars. But he also talked about how just for us on offense, we are in better position and getting more leverage than, say, we did last year. 
So there's not like these egregious plays where we have to hold to prevent a sack or a big loss or something. We're actually doing a better job of keeping guys in front of us where you can't really call a hold. So we called that out. And of course, I followed it up with a question of related to no holding calls. Are, are you concerned about the fact that this is game two without getting any kind of pass rush? And I think he's concerned by answering with some coach speak on the answer there. Uh, and that is posted out on our social media channels if you want to take a look at the full video of that. But he also pointed out that Louisiana was in max protect in almost every drop back that they had. The only time they weren't in max protect was actually those last four plays down at the goal line. where We were able to get some pressure, force some bad passes, and get that stop at the end of the game. Hey, and, and before we get too deep into this, I don't think we're going to be able to put it to bed yet, but I personally want to start putting it to bed. Listening to a lot of people talk about this team outside of, even inside of our fan base a little bit, but they keep talking about having this FCS backup quarterback. So after the game last night, people railing over getting beat by a backup FCS quarterback, a guy who couldn't even get on the field at a lower level, and how they got beat by a team that scored 19 points per game last year. Okay. I listened to that podcast too. Yeah, we've been talking about this for weeks with a number of different folks. It's not just that podcast. It's a bunch of different folks. First off, Grant wasn't sitting behind a scrub quarterback. Okay, Tim Demerat was... I, I don't even want to start going down the list of the accolades that guy had at Fordham and how good of a player he was. There's a lot of guys that wouldn't have gotten run behind him. And the 19 points per game, you're talking about a different quarterback, a different offensive coordinator, a completely different system, and 58 different players. So we need to just kind of put last year's team to bed because this team and that team, there's really not a huge relationship other than having the same head coach. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but Oh, I said it on locked on Sunbelt. This is not last year's old dominion team. That book is closed. The Decker ODU offense is here. And my God is Ballard so much fun when the offense is clicking. We didn't have the biggest crowd. There was a lot of empty seats. But it was fun. Everyone was having a blast. It was loud. People were getting amped up for third downs. Student section was rocking. Like, it was such a good environment last night. It rained. It rained for hours. Lightning. A lot of people went home. That place and the student section was great. I can just imagine how much nicer or how much louder the place would have been had we not had severe weather leading up to it. With this offense, you almost feel like there's a weight lifted off your shoulders. Like when the other team scores a touchdown, you don't feel like it's a death sentence anymore. Like we have an offense that can go score points very, very quickly. And it really brought back some of those CAA Heineke days where you scored a touchdown. Okay, great. We're about to go score another one. Pressure's on you. Like it, it just ignites the crowd. It gives you more confidence in your team. It's giving confidence to the guys on that sideline. And taking some of the pressure off of them, knowing they're like, hey, we can go score. And yeah, Grant Wilson was a backup FCS quarterback last year behind an absolute stud of a quarterback learning this offensive system. He's an FBS starter now. He's played pretty well in two games. He played really well 
uh, on Saturday. And not just from like a numbers perspective, but the way he controls that offense, the way he sets things up, gets things in motion. We, we didn't have any weird penalties last night on the offensive side of the ball. And that's only his second game. Like he has two FBS games under his belt and he looked like that going up against a you know, pretty good Louisiana team. that has got a lot of history and have, they've won a lot of games. So I agree. Like if you're still basing your predictions of this season off of ODU's offense last year, I hope you run a book and please let me know what sports book you run. I can't wait to abuse you. I'll, I'll know this. I listen. So two of those notes Aaron said were from what other people are saying it, but the Region Review, one of their hosts, mentioned he's an FCS backup. And then he said the guy in front of him, like he was so ignorant to not even know that the guy that was in front of him is already gone out of college. Like zero research done on his part. Luckily, Jerry listens to the show and corrected him a little bit and talked to him about what we've shared. So... Props to Jerry, because he's the man. But yeah. So I was looking at the numbers. So early on in the game, I was feeling pretty concerned about our defense because they were just controlling the clock on us. And it didn't like we could do anything to stop them. And they weren't doing anything overly complicated. They were just running the ball, hitting a lot of uh, short, intermediate throws that – Honestly, we should have been able to stop some of them because, but yeah, they, they were just running and walking the ball down the field, essentially. And if you look at the time possession overall for the whole game, it's understandable. They had the ball for the majority of the game. Our explosive offense is the difference. We didn't have to control the clock in this game to win. So I'm guessing the defense is feeling a lot better in their position and all the hard work they're doing. Yeah, I've got to give some credit to Louisiana. I thought they did a good job of executing their offense. And similar to what we do on the offensive side, they took what we gave them in some aspects. A lot of wide receiver screens when our DBs were 15 yards off the line that they were able to get nice little chunk plays out of. They were able to run when we were setting up in more of an umbrella pass coverage. Uh, they did a good job there. They definitely exposed some weaknesses in the defense that we've been worried about. And the defense has a lot of work to do. We really struggled to pick up guys who were in motion pre-snap. We just were not following them across the field when we were in man, and that burned us a couple times, including that fourth down touchdown that made it a one-score game. We were just slow to, to catch the guy in motion. We had really no answer anytime they had someone with the delayed release that went out for a route. We had no one to pick them up, and they would get, get some good yardage out of that. There's, a, there's concern still on the defensive side. This is a great win. I want to celebrate and say good things, but this game didn't necessarily change my outlook on the season because I still think we have some issues in the secondary and we absolutely have some issues in the, the pass rush. Like moving to this new three-man front that we've shown this year where it operates like a 3-3-5, almost like a hybrid 3-2-6. We just aren't able to get home. Even when we blitz, we're just not able to get there. And you're putting more stress on your secondary that's stressed from, to, to start with from a coverage standpoint, especially in man. The defense has a lot of work that they need to do on their side of the ball. Yeah, it's tough. We're trying to do a three-man front to generate pressure. 
especially when they have six men on the line. Uh, they left their tight end a lot to help. I think Ricky talked about that max protect in that post game you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, it's a problem. If you're not generating any pressure, you're not going to... The secondary needs help. And the only way we can get it is generating pressure because we can't suddenly just find extra dudes to be in the secondary. Yeah, and we tried some double coverages and some different things. We sent a lot of different blitz packages. They just weren't able to get there. But what's weird about this, though, so we moved to a defense that's lighter up front, right, with either six-man front, five-man front. Aside from that first drive, we were able to stuff the run which is really hard to do in that defensive set and to do it consistently, especially in short yardage. And we were big tip of the cap to Denzel Lowry playing that nose guard position. I thought after that, that first drive, he really recovered well and did a lot of things to disrupt what they wanted to do running up the middle. We saw Devin Brandt Epps get some extended reps in the defensive end position in that three man front. He played really, really well. So I think those guys have done a good job of being able to stuff the run and make, make our opponents more one dimensional needing to throw we've got to figure out a way to to get some good pass rushing in there because going this season with a limited number of sacks and, and hurries like we're not forcing them into making too many mistakes and we need to do that you know aside from when they're on r5 going in with the game on the line so let me ask you guys a question and maybe your answer can shed some light on folks that don't have as strong a grasp technically when it comes to the game so we're effectively stopping the run there, but we're not getting good pressure on the quarterback. So that's saying that those three, the three defensive linemen that are up there are doing a good job and kind of maintaining their gaps or where they're supposed to be, and the, and the linebackers are coming up and being able to, to fill those holes. We're just not being able to get good push on them and then get to the quarterback, but guys are doing their jobs there, so to speak, and not overextending themselves or getting out of position of where they're supposed so, to be. So on running plays, the defensive line, their job is to eat up their blocker and do not let them get to the second level. So that means stay on your feet, stay in front of them, and don't let him get pushed. So they are not getting pushed back and beaten up off of that on run plays. And it's allowing the linebackers and the safeties to come up and make plays. It's why if you look at our top four tacklers, uh, EJ Green, obviously the All-American Jason Henderson, Ra'el and Terry Jones, that's all because of that. And then Wayne Matthews had a fantastic game last night as well. And that's because they are eating up their blocker. In the passing game, you can eat up your blocker, but you're not going to generate pressure doing that. So how do you find the balance? How do you generate more push, more pressure on a quarterback and still be able to do this, the things that they're doing successfully right now. If, if we're running that three-man front on any passing down, we have to have at least one linebacker blitzing from somewhere. Like The good news for us is we have three really strong linebackers in EJ Green, Jason Henderson, and Wayne Matthews. I think all three can do a great job of rushing the passer. We need to confuse that offense into – not knowing which one of those three is coming and then mix in a safety blitz on top of that. Just bringing pressure from different places and guys up front, if they can get off their blocks, that would be great. But for the most part, what you saw in Louisiana was they had six guys in blocking and we were rushing three. Like that is tough to win those one-on-two battles there. 
because uh, they were keeping a tight end to block or they had a running back who was stepping up to help with the double team somewhere. Three on six, you're not going to win a lot of those, especially against an offensive line with the size that Louisiana has. You just got to mix up where you're, you're bringing that pressure or you got to consider on some of those obvious passing downs of going back to a four-man front and having two legit edge rushers out there to go after the passer. But it, you know, you run some risk doing that too to be susceptible to draws and things like that. But we, we've got to change something up there fundamentally to get the pressure because we're just we're not getting it done right now, and it's hurting us. You're going to see a lot more track meet style games if we can't generate a pass rush. Oh, I'll add one more note on defending the run. So one thing you'll notice on a lot of obvious run plays is our defensive line will shift at the last second to get into a better position to stop the run. They've been really successful in guessing where the ball is going. Obviously, there's some bootlegs last night that uh, they got it backwards because that's the whole point of a bootleg. But whoever's making those calls is doing the making the right call. All right. So last night was the first game in Ballard this season. What comes with the new game in Ballard every year is any changes they made to the game production or in the stadium. One change I, I liked last night. My new section, 118, I am right behind the cheerleaders for one half and the dance team for the other. And I maybe where I was sitting last year, I didn't see this, but the cheerleaders had signs telling you what to chant. The problem was they were only telling our section to do it. It's a step in the right direction, and I was pretty excited to see it. But they were doing a blue and white chant. And if we could get the whole stadium like one side doing blue, the other side doing white, it could give you that traditional big game atmosphere. I just want to see it executed differently. Yeah, what's great about that is blue-white, it's really easy for the crowd to do. It's not complex. You're not throwing monarchs in there, rain on, or blue-white. could be pretty compelling, pretty loud, and super easy to accomplish uh, also the, the cheer team's co-ed now there's four men on the team i didn't see anything crazy that they were doing but what do you call them aaron when you have them in the air what are you talking about as a oh we're just, we're just holding them up in the air yeah they're just stunting they weren't in front of me but probably if the guys are oh, the probably guys were doing... not involved in the stunts that was the interesting part Okay, so they're they're probably just spotting. The girls are probably doing extensions, some liberties. We've seen them do a lot of that stuff at basketball. So it's nice that they have guys. It's been probably five, six years since we've seen guys out there. It it adds, uh, you know, the capability of what the squad as a whole is going to be able to do. It's, it's from a safety perspective, it's pretty nice too because at least I know back in my day, your job was to make sure a girl never hit the ground. So guys are really willing to, you know, throw their bodies in the way to make sure that the the ladies are safe. I will add the student section, the end zone section was pretty full. Obviously there was some empty space there, room for more students to join the party, but they were a lot of fun last night. Missed calls. They were letting the refs know about it. Good refuse suck chants coming out of that group, which is just lovely to hear when you're at home. I was stoked to see how happy they were, how much fun they were having because it makes me hopeful that they'll just keep coming back for moments like that because I think that's how most students get started. Yeah, that's how I started going to uh, men's and women's basketball games at the TED and 
waiting in the line to get in, trying to get up towards the front row, the, the old student section there. I have one, one request, and I don't know if it needs to go through marketing or some graphic that gets put up on the board. When we're on defense, make a bunch of noise. Make a bunch of noise. It's easy. They got graphics for that. You know it. Pretty common sense. When we're on offense, though, you back it down. Like we are, we're using the noise to disrupt the play calls coming in, but that can be a two-way street if we're on offense. So when we're on offense, take a break, save your breath, wait for back on defense. So I would just love to get something like offense working. Please be quiet. Something just because a lot of our play calls at home are spoken. They are audible. They are not hand signal like what we have on the road. And we don't want to have to go to hand signals at home because they're not nearly as effective as Grant being able to walk up and down the line. And one other thing the student section did real well is I think they did a good job of letting the opposing team know as they were coming and going that they were the opposing team. And then kudos, well, actually probably not kudos, but maybe a former student, not sure who it was, wearing the uh, mustard-colored Carhartt-looking pants who decided that he also needed to get in a touchdown celebration hopping over the brick wall of the beer garden. Yes, we saw you, guy. Um, yes, get in there with Romello and celebrate that awesome touchdown. It was great because he blended in for like the first 10 seconds he was out there, dapping up the players, getting in the huddle. Then all of a sudden you see security just creeping in from the side. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do something like that, you got to do the blue shirt with the gray pants or you know, something that our, our, our coaches are wearing. You, you can't have... That color pants, not even the photographers are wearing those. You stick out like a like a highlighter. So a couple note, other notes on the game day experience for me. Harry Minium wrote a great article on the new video board that they've hung outside the stadium near the silver lot. After the game, I went made sure to go by and check that out. And they were showing the end of the Oregon-Texas Tech game. This is pretty cool. It kind of reminded me of the big blue room. If you go in there after the game, they're going to show other games on the, the board. and just adds to the environment. The second thing, David Asbury, one of our writers here at The Monarchist, wrote an th- article ex- talking about the band's performances this year. And I sat through that halftime performance, and they did a fantastic job. I know our s- section really enjoyed it. Doing those rock, classic rock songs was just good vibes all around. I agree. But Gary and I are waiting for the stuff that's a little harder rock. Bring the Metallica. <laughs> Let's go. It's coming. It's coming. Master of puppets. I can't wait. You're dipping into my metal world. I love it. Before we move on to this week's game, we got we have some more stuff to cover. I need to shout out LaMarion James in special teams. We know what he's capable of, but this is the first time we've seen it in a while because normally most teams just don't kick to him. And his explosive return set up some really successful offensive drives for us, put us in a really great position. Yeah, and not only just those two returns, but the the kick coverage where he downed the ball on the three-yard line, pinning Louisiana really deep and putting them in a tough situation. I mean, that was absolutely huge. Yeah, and I've got to give a shout-out to many of our wide receivers. Uh, Marion Granger had that sick one-handed catch for a touchdown. I mean, that is – we were hoping to get him in that situation last year. He's an absolute stud. I think he was actually banged up a little bit during the game and still made that play. Just awesome all around, just big-time playmakers. We also saw a little bit of a shakeup 
at the wide receiver position. Javon Harvey, Jordan Bly, we're not getting any reps, many reps, if any at all, but Romello Murphy and Kelby Williams stepped up. They did a great job getting separation off the line, just beating the brakes off of defensive backs and getting open down the field. They did a great job stepping up. Romello Murphy had two touchdown catches really in his first Good amount of playing time. He looked fantastic. Talk about making the most of an opportunity, getting out there for those reps and scoring. And we got to talk about Dominic Dutton, right? Dude's a weapon. Him just being fast is going to give us flags all season long. Um, obviously, he needs to get on the same page uh, as Grant, and he can be even more dangerous. But for now, he's a weapon. Their only defense against him in the second half was to hold him, which they called it once, but they were holding him on every single route that he was running. And then the one time he broke free, they just had to mug him to get pass interference. Otherwise, it was going to be a touchdown. He's got some technique to clean up for sure, but that is a he's by far the fastest dude on the team. Yeah, if you didn't get a chance to watch this game and you just looked at the box score and you saw Dominic Dutton's, his line there, you wouldn't have any idea on how much impact he made on the game. Because what's in the box door is not congruent of what happened in real life. Yeah, it's nice to have a guy who can perform at the levels he did in SEC track. We know he's got speed to burn, and we are using it to our advantage. You got anything else, Gary, on this game? Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit more about, about Grant Wilson. I thought he, he played really well, controlled the offense. I think he still has some things to tidy up. He had a couple of overthrows. I think he missed a couple of receivers. But, again, this is his second start at the FBS level. He made a considerable jump from week one to week two. I would love to see him make a similar jump from week two to week three. But he made big plays. He kept us in the game. They bottled him up a little bit to where he couldn't run the ball as much. If you look at what Fordham did last year on the offensive side of the ball, their quarterback didn't run very much. When he did run, though, was inside the 10. And we saw that on a keeper for a rushing touchdown. That's more of what you're going to see from the quarterback in this offense. It's nice that he has the ability to make 18, 19 carries and, and get first downs and things like that. But I like the fact that he got hit much less in this game. He had a fewer number of true rushes. Still able to move in the pocket, great pocket presence, move around. I think he got sacked by one of his own offensive linemen, I think, on one play. But just having him run the offense that way where he's not getting hit, and he's able to continue to look downfield. And the shovel pass that he had early in the game that no one could figure out what hand the ball was in. The ball comes out. We end up getting a first down on it. He actually learned that play from watching film of Coach Decker at New Hampshire when he was the quarterback. That is a play from like 2011 that Coach Decker ran, and he learned that from him and watching film. It, just the, the creativity in this on this offense is unbelievable, and it's something that we've missed desperately over the past several years, and it's a lot of fun to see us think outside the box and find ways to attack defenses, and we're just going to continue to see that this year. Yeah, you saw that on that empty where we had – just the center and the two guards, and then everyone else split out wide. Louisiana had no idea what to do with it. We run for six yards. It's a play that I ran. I remember running in high school in our triple option just to see if you could catch them off guard. 
but every high school ran it, so they were prepared for it. So, which is why I was shocked that Louisiana was unprepared for it because everyone's seen it. I think I would have been on the field if we would have seen Santana Saunders or Chris Adams catch a touchdown pass because they don't have to line up on the line if you get a wide receiver up there and get get the right number of guys in the line of scrimmage. If we would have seen a tackle with a touchdown catch in that formation, that uh, would have been it. You, the, the place would have burned to the ground. Yeah, I Last night was a lot of fun, so thank you to Ricky Ronnie and Kevin Decker and all of Old Dominion football. More of that, please. All right, are we ready to move on to Saturday at noon against Wake Forest? Yeah, are we going to talk about breakfast burritos or are we talking about football? It's football time, baby. Let's do it. But the breakfast burritos are, are going to be good in the blue lot. I made them last year. I just oh, if- I don't know how many to bring now because we – 18 pounds of pulled pork scared me. Back by popular demand. And a French toast bake. It's it's a popular item. Uh, we did have Tom Chick's group with us. I'm not sure if that impacted how much food was eaten. Maybe it was the rain. All of us huddled under the tents trying to stay dry. That led to us eating more. And a huge thing of fried chicken from Pollard's, too. Covered in Cajun dust. Yes, wonderful Cajun dust that showed up right before the game. Yeah, I can't remember the, the person who mailed us that, who shipped that to us, the four things of Rod's Cajun seasoning. But that ended up in the pork as well, and the pork was a huge hit. So we're going to send a care package back. We're going to find some good stuff that's local here in Virginia and send a nice care package back to the Cajun. So that's, for, that's uh, Josh from the Rage and Review to give him a, the complete shout-out. That's UL Man About Town on Twitter. So shout out to him. Thank you so much for providing enough for all of the main monarchists to have Cajun seasoning throughout the next few months until we blow through it all. I used some of it today. I don't think it's going to last very long in my house. And I came home last night and mine was busted open. Lisa had already cracked it open and used it while I was at the game. Crawfish boil season's coming, boys. Can't wait. So, Wake Forest, obviously we have a little bit of history with them. We traveled down to Winston-Salem a few years ago and got to play a pretty tough game down there against a very talented quarterback who is now throwing balls for Notre Dame. I know Mitch Griffiths is the new quarterback. They handled Vandy this past weekend. And in in week one, they handled Elon. So what else do we know about this team, Gary? They scare the shit out of me, to be completely honest. They beat Elon through the air. They beat Vandy on the ground. They had 288 yards rushing against Vandy. Their offense is good. Their defense is really stout. But they give up a lot of yards, and they do give up some points. I think we're going to have the ability to score on them. I don't know if we're going to have the ability to stop them necessarily on the offensive side. Dave Clawson is a great coach super cerebral guy like he's gonna pick you apart watch a ton of film they lost quite a few guys last year of course the quarterback position but also on the defensive line but they're just that solid acc team that's probably gonna go eight and four they're gonna beat the teams they're supposed to beat they're gonna be competitive with the teams in the conference that are better than them they're in my opinion i think david asbury had this in his preview as well in his power rankings this is the most difficult opponent at least on paper, that we have on the schedule. 
it, it's going to be really tough. We're, there is a pathway for ODU to win this game, but they are balanced offensively. They're strong enough defensively to keep themselves in games. It's, it's going to be a tough one for ODU. I think that pathway is going to be similar to what we did last night if we are to win. Right. We might have to get grab one or two of those other passes that we didn't get on the offensive side of the ball. But I think the key is going to be stopping the run. If we can do that, obviously they're very capable. Y'all were just talking about that. It, Claiborne and Carney both went over 100 yards. Claiborne carried the ball 26 times. We thought that Keyshawn had a heavy workload with his 17 carries or over 100. But 26 times and Carney carried it 13 times. They carried the ball. They ran it 48 times for 288 yards. We're definitely going to have to be more stout than what Vanderbilt was able to do this week. I, I think for us, what, what gives me some hope there is how we performed against the run so far this year, including against an ACC team that can run the ball pretty well, but they're still able to throw it. One, one stat I'll throw out here that is related to the pass rush. So they didn't pass the ball much against Vandy, but they gave up two sacks. They gave up four sacks to Elon in their opener. So I think that there's some opportunities there to really go after the quarterback and put some pressure there. Uh, if they're giving up sacks to Elon, I, I feel confident that we should be able to come away with more than zero. Uh, and I think that establishing that pass rush is going to be the first thing on that pathway for ODU to get a win. We have two games, one filled with mistakes, second, no mistakes, and... Obviously, we know how those both ended. That's going to be something you cannot give a team like AC's Wake Forest extra opportunities. So I'll say the boring thing and say limit penalties, limit turnovers, we'll have a shot. The obvious takes that you're going to hear from everybody. But when the team, when you're playing a team who's what, 17 point favorite? You have to take advantage of any opportunity you have, and you can't give them any extra opportunities. So if we can limit turnovers, penalties, and maybe turn them over, finally, get one turnover this season, we can uh, put ourselves in a great position to steal one. We all know that weird things happen at Ballard, and it's been a minute since something weird has happened, so let's make Saturday weird. I agree. I want to see our defense play more aggressive. Go ball hawk. Go after some interceptions. We were not super clean defensively, especially when tackling on Saturday. We let a lot of plays become bigger plays. We gave up too many yards on third and longs that let them convert fourth downs. We got to stop being reactive in the secondary and start popping some people and start going after the ball. And I think establishing the pass rush will help that. Uh, having some more lockdown coverage, some some tighter coverages will help with that as well. But it, it's going to be tough. But, yeah, we, we've been bigger underdogs at Ballard and come away with a win. So you weren't kidding about the yards. They were giving up 337 yards per game. And it's not like anyone is talking about Vanderbilt or Elon being powerhouses offensively. They are similar in style to us with the bend but don't break mindset. So that's how they've been able to keep the total points allowed down a little bit is really locking down in the red zone. 
but we're going to be able to move the ball. And if we have the opportunity to get those explosive plays where we're scoring from outside the red zone, like we saw on Saturday, that's how we can, can stay in this game. We just, we, you nailed it. We have to avoid turnovers, which we kind of have fluky turnovers in the tech game. We were clean on, on Saturday against Louisiana. Like I said, there's a pathway for ODU to win this game. We just are going to have to check a lot of boxes and do a lot of things that so far we have not done this season. Yeah, those, I know we talked about it a lot last year. We haven't really so much this year yet, Mike, with regards to the wide receivers and the height. With our corners not being super tall, their top four receivers this week, I think two of them are 5'10", one was 6'2", and the other is 6'4". So it'll be interesting to see how you know, we go about matching up with those guys. All right, so you mentioned the height of their receivers versus our corners. What is the height of their corners versus our not-so-stout receiving core? They list pretty much every DB at either 5'11", 6'0", or 6'1". So they're like tender profile, 6'0", tall. And like probably about as believable as that sellout streak they have in Wake that allegedly started when we played down there in 2021. They got some size there. They're not short, but I don't think there's anyone that's going to be a huge mismatch against our wide receiver core. Yeah, so no Trey Hawkins on their team to jam us to the line. That's good to know because we're going to need our receivers to be explosive for another game. Good thing is, Kelby Williams is a little bit on the taller side. He's 6'2", right? Yeah, he's a little bit taller. Definitely plays taller than he's listed. All right, so Dave Clawson has been there a minute, coming there from Bowling Green, I believe. He has turned them into an annual bowl team. They've made it to seven straight bowls. They won 11 games two seasons ago. He's really got them better than they've probably ever been in their history. However, he hasn't quite reached that 06 to 08 period under Jim Grobe that they had where they went 11 and three, nine and four, eight and five, and had an orange bowl appearance behind that great linebacker play. But Dave Clawson is the QB guru. He's done wonders for their offense. However, if you're looking at their seasons, they're usually seven, eight win team. This is not a team to be uh, intimidated by, in my opinion. I think we ha- we should have a puncher's chance if we show up offensively. I think we're going to be in this ball game. Like this is not going to be like the the 21 trip down there that a lot of us went to, where it really was was over from pretty early in the game because we couldn't move the ball. We're going to be in this game. I think our offense will keep us in the game for sure. Uh, it's just the, the the number of stops we can get on defense, the number of turnovers. Like that's that's the biggest question mark and the thing that, that scares me a little bit with if you can rack up 280 yards rushing against Vanderbilt, like if they're able to establish the run, they're going to have long, sustained drives in the field and really control a lot of tempo. Yeah, I think if we have any shot here, we're going to need to have more than the ball for more than 22 minutes like we had against Louisiana. Obviously, we were scoring quick and moving the ball down the field fast, but I don't think that's a number we want on our side this week, learning from last season. Yeah, certainly. I think we need to hold these guys to 
maybe 150 yards rushing, and uh, probably come up with at least one turnover. Probably have to grab two. I think putting them in obvious passing downs will help us quite a bit. If we're able to set them up in a second and nine, and then maybe get a third and eight, and put them in a position where they can't run the ball on third down, and we can try some creative ways to get pressure, that's going to be the way to go. But if they're getting half their yards on first down like we want to do on our offensive side of the ball, it's going to be tough to get them off the field. That defense will wear down. We had some of the toughest dudes on the planet on our defensive side of the ball. Jason Henderson was cramping up but still got up because he didn't want to come out of the game for that last drive and still came in and made plays. We have tough dudes, but at some point, even the toughest guys are going to break being on the field that long. You're right. I mean, that last defensive drive, I mean, towards the end of the drive when Jason went down, he was like sitting down and you could tell how bad he was cramping and he was trying to fight through it. I think I'm telling, talking to you going like, we got to get him out of there. He's, he's not going to be effective. And somehow he pushed through. I'm not sure how he did that because he clearly was really, really hurting. But yeah, we got to get those guys off the field a little bit more. When I think about getting a turnover, though, if, say, LaMarion can, you know, intercept the ball, we've seen how dangerous he is with the ball in his hand. So if we can get something like that, you have an opportunity to put some points on the board. So hopefully we can come up with something like that. Yeah, I kept waiting on set last Saturday for someone to jump one of those screens. It's just, it's going to happen eventually, but I hope it happens sooner than later. Yeah, I would also like to see us blast some guys that are coming out of the backfield on those delayed routes. Because I, I don't know if we have the best pass covering linebackers. We've got a lot of great run stoppers and some dudes that can make some plays. But if they're running towards the line of scrimmage and they're within a yard, you can decleat them. Just, just a reminder on that. All right. Later in this week, we are going to have another opponent Q&A. This week's blogger is Essex Thayer. He's the editor and manager of Blogger Show Deer on SB Nation. So keep an eye out for that on odumonarchist.com. He will be a lot more able to educate us all on Wake Forest this year. Just a tip to any of you out there who are enjoying the content on odumonarchist.com. Fun fact, everything is posted there before you see it on social media. So if you go in in the mornings around 9 and a little bit after lunch and hit the refresh button on the blog post, you'll actually get those before everyone else does because it takes us a little while to put things out on social media. Sometimes we do that intentionally to reward the people who are coming directly to the site. So if you like the content, bookmark that site and go check it pretty regularly. We're trying to crank out as much content for you as we possibly can. That's a good note, Gary. All right. Are we ready for predictions or do we need to keep walking through this Wake Forest team. No, I think we hit the predictions because the uh, what you guys just talked about is going to give our readers a real good in-depth look at Wake Forest. All right, Gary, you are going to lead us off this week. All right. First time this year, I am going to be predicting against Old Dominion. Definitely want them to win, and I'll be so happy if I'm wrong. It won't even be funny. I'll be very, very excited. I, I think we're going to struggle to get Wake Forest off the field. I think they're going to control a lot of tempo. I think our offense is going to keep it, keep us in it. But I think this one is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 38 to 28 Wake Forest. I think they're going to come away with a 10-point 
10-point victory. I know one line opened at 17. I think I've seen some places at 14 and a half. Um, I mean, anything that is 10 and a half or bigger, take ODU. Total came out at 58 and a half. That is way too low. Get that over while you can because it's going to push up to 60-61. All right, Aaron. You were up to bat. All right, man. I think this is the week where we get our first turnover. It's going to make a difference in this one. It's going to come right down to the end. And I'm looking at a three-point victory for Old Dominion. Ethan Sanchez with a kick to win the game. Wow, I, I did not expect you to go there with the Ethan, Ethan Sanchez 50-yard kick. That is a bold pick. How did you know that I thought it was going to be a 50-yard kick? I didn't even say that. But that's what I'm predicting. Well, um, I can see the future sometimes. As David Schultz will tell you. It's going to happen, Aaron. And when it does, it's going to be a beautiful moment. All right. So it leaves me. I will note that I'm 2-0 right now on all Dominion's games. I also want to pick Wake Forest just to keep. Because that's what I want to happen, right? I want us to beat Wake Forest. We start the season 2-1 and with almost a guarantee to be 3-1 and after the four, first four weeks. But if we're being honest here, we're not fanboys. We're going to be honest. I'm picking Wake Forest to win. I also believe Old Dominion will cover. And I don't know if there's a total line out yet or if you've seen one, Gary. 58 and a half was the only one I've seen. So they're starting to. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. All right. Well, with this 14 to 17 point spread, that makes sense. I would take the over. I think 42-32 sounds reasonable to me. Um, Wake Forest wins this one. And we regroup for homecoming with Texas A&M Commerce to come into town. If ODU is going to win this game, their offense is going to need to continue to show growth from Louisiana. They're going to have to get three to four sacks and probably another 10 QB hurries. They're going to have to lock it down in the secondary. They're going to have to be clean. Force turnovers, but don't create turnovers. That's the pathway to do it. But that's a lot. That's a lot. And we haven't shown it so far this season. But if those things happen, it could be a fun Saturday afternoon at Ballard. I am uh, instantly regretting the total number I just threw out there. That's 74 points. Uh, it's a... You can adjust it. This isn't I... published yet. I, I like the over to like 64, 65, so that's not out of the question. It could be a track yeah. meet of a game. Do we get extra points for Ethan hitting field goals over 50? Like when it hits 52, it's 4, 55, it's 6? No, like they, they have not one. implemented any jock jam uh, scoring rules yet. We're still waiting for it. I don't know what the NCAA is doing, but it's about time. That would be sweet. We also need that... 30-foot rim installed in NCAA basketball to make things more interesting. Let's do it. What are we waiting for? It works. We could do a whole nother episode on just these ideas. I mean, we could do a 55-yard field goal. Like, you have to kick it from that spot, and you get a $5,000 NIL bonus. Or we could do this 
idea that I've been throwing around in my head these last 20 seconds. You have a long snapper, holder, kicker. The defense gets three guys, but they have to start 25 yards off the line, and they can start running whenever, but penalties are still a reality. So if they cross that line, we get to redo. If they hit the kicker, we get 15-yard penalty. Let's let's make some interesting changes. I want to see Lamarian James long snap and then go out for a pass from Ethan Sanchez, if those are the rules. Because I think Lamarian could snap it and be in the end zone before those guys realize they need to throw on the brakes. Yeah, let's make it fun. Field goals are fun, but they could be funner. All right, that was weird, but I think that about wraps this up for this week. Gary, do you have any promotional items that you want to throw out there before we close? I know if you're listening to this, you probably also read the recap that has dropped on Monday. On Thursday, uh, David Asbury's preview on Wake Forest will drop. Uh, I think Wednesday we'll have the Q&A out from the Wake Forest group, getting you some more details there. Look out for some other stuff. There's a lot of really good stuff going around ODU right now with women's soccer. Field hockey's been playing a brutal schedule. Just a lot going on, and it's good to stay in the know and, and pay attention to those programs that are doing some some really good things as they start getting into conference play here. So just a lot of good stuff going on. Pay attention to our social media channels and uh, check out odmonarchist.com each day. I will throw one more bit of promo in there. We have a really cool new segment that we're trying to start. It's called Meet the Monarchs. I'm not sure when we're going to push out the first one, but this will be a Q&A with ODU athletes and coaches to understand their connection to the program and their sport a little bit better. Uh, the first sport will be rowing, and we should have that up in the coming days. So keep an eye out for that. But that does it for us this week. We are the Monarchists. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.